Welcome back, everyone, to a very special episode of You Pick, We Watch. This is Regan. Um, unfortunately, the stars did not align this week for Jess and I to record together. Our schedules are kind of conflicting uh, so far this week, so we will do our episode on Sweeney Todd next week. In the meantime, though, I thought I would do a special episode on a movie that I just happened to watch a couple days ago called Nocturnal Animals. So, this movie came out in 2016, and um, I guess the description for it would be a wealthy art gallery owner is haunted by her ex-husband's novel, a violent thriller, as she interprets... I'm sorry, that she interprets as a symbolic revenge tale. Um, Another summary might actually be a little more on the head here. Um, Follows an art gallery owner as she reads the new novel written by her first husband and begins to see the similarities between it and their former relationship. I think that is a little more accurate to what actually happens in the plot. So, this movie, um, when it came out, I remember seeing trailers for it, but I didn't see it in theaters. No one I knew saw it in theaters. Taking a look at the, um, at just some background information for the movie, it seems that this wasn't one that a ton of people went out to see, which I guess doesn't really surprise me, given... (laughs) Uh, I guess given the nature of the film, it's a little more art housey rather than um, something that's easily digestible. The cast, though, I will say, is actually pretty phenomenal. That's initially what drew me to the movie, because I saw that um, Amy Adams is the main character. Uh, You've got Jake Gyllenhaal, Michael Shannon, Aaron Taylor-Johnson... And along with Isla Fisher and Army Hammer. So if any of those names sound familiar, um, Amy Adams, she's been in a ton of stuff. Like uh, she's been Lois Lane in the newer DC movies. Jake Gyllenhaal, he's, you know, all over the place doing all kinds of good movies. Most recently in Spider-Man Far From Home. Michael Shannon played Zod, in General Zod in Man of Steel. Um, Aaron Taylor Johnson, he was Quicksilver in Age of Ultron, and also the title character in the movie Kick-Ass. So those are the most notable people in the movie. So, this story is a bit unusual, which is why I'm bringing it up in the first place. Um, It's a... I would say it's a pretty cool movie. It's got a lot of, uh, I'd say, visual style to it. It's got kind of a neo-noir vibe also. Um, What is neo-noir? It's described as the kind of like a update to the classic noir genre, which was in the 40s and 50s. can characterize that as use of Dutch angles, which is kind of when if you take your head and you tilt it at a 45 degree angle, it's it's a shot that's kind of off kilter and it's supposed to like subconsciously make you uncomfortable. Um, 
interplay of light and shadows, unbalanced framing, the blurring of the lines between good and evil, good and bad, right and wrong, and a lot of thematic motifs like revenge, paranoia, and alienation. And I definitely get a good amount of those themes from the manuscript narrative in this plot, and I'll explain what that is in a second. So from this point on, there's going to be some soft spoilers, nothing really too crazy. Um, so the the story starts out kind of mysteriously in the sense of it doesn't really give you a lot of, of uh, information. It just kind of drops you in the middle of um, Susan, who's Amy Adams' character. It drops you in her life. I will say that the opening credits... That's a hard part. That's going to be a tough sell on its own because it's so weird and uncomfortable. It's it's just like... Um, I know it's related to the fact that Amy Adams is like a rich um, art gallery owner. So it's, it's... I don't know if you'd call it performance art, but essentially it's a series of naked women that all happen to be obese and just kind of dancing around... Um, it's not the most comfortable of scenes. It definitely... I don't know. I don't know if that sets the tone. It doesn't really come back, overtly at least. It's just something that you're watching that for two, three minutes, wondering what's happening and questioning the choices you've made so far in that day. But getting past that part, it gets a lot more interesting. So... Uh, Amy Adams, she receives a novel manuscript from her ex-husband, who's played by Jake Gyllenhaal, who she hasn't seen in about 20 years. That is where the narrative splits into thirds. Um, those being the present, um, then the visualization of the manuscript, and then flashbacks. And each kind of serve their own purpose, and all of them are, I would say... Entangled sounds like the wrong word, but they're all they're all connected. They're all very connected to each other. It doesn't seem like it in the beginning, but then you pick up on it. So the present establishes where Susan is in life. Um, the flashbacks explain the rift between her and her ex that kind of drove them into being in the positions that they start out at at the beginning of the movie. The dark and violent manuscript is, can, I guess that is interpreted as the symbolic revenge of her ex, and it digs up feelings of regret and shame in Susan's life for kind of what happened between them. Um, the, vi the visualization of the manuscript is from Susan's point of view, so she pictures the main character as her ex-husband, um, interestingly enough, Jake Gyllenhaal is the only character to play two roles in this movie. So um, you see him in flashbacks as her then-husband, and then you see him as a different character in the thriller that he wrote. Um, so yeah, since it's from her point of view, he's 
the he is the husband character, but she doesn't visualize herself as the wife. That is uh, Isla Fisher, another famous redhead actress. Um, it's funny to note that for a while, I actually thought those two actors were the same person, which has I reflecting on that i've noticed that's a theme in my life of uh just every once in a while if two people look similar enough and i don't see them together i sometimes think they're the same person it happened in high school it's still happening now <laughs> um but the the novel the manuscript section it isn't a recreation of their failed marriage but kind of like a reassembly of how jake felt as the events transpired between them. So the connecting tissue for that is um, a man taking away his wife. So the a big theme of the movie is feeling um, powerless, where in the manuscript, Jake Gyllenhaal is powerless as his wife and daughter are taken away from him, raped, and then murdered. Um, fortunately, like, it's not very... It's, uh, it's such a tense beginning to the, the actual story, but, like, they don't show anything too graphic, which is nice, in my opinion. Um, uh, the flashbacks... Oh, in the flashbacks, he feels powerless as it becomes more obvious that Susan is going to leave him for another man. And, uh, again, it's... I'll, this is going to make sense if you watch the movie. Um, <laughs> just, like I said, it's a non-traditional movie that can be a little hard to explain or at least visualize if you haven't seen it before. Um, but I, I promise you, it all, it'll all more or less makes sense. There is a ton of symbolism between the book and the real world, so like it, you, in the flashbacks that show what happened as um, as Susan and Edward's marriage is falling apart, you can see a lot of, I guess, elements are used as inspiration for um, various parts of the novel. So I'd say it wouldn't be a stretch to say that a good part of the movie is about the relationship between, like, the artist and their art. Again, it's... <laughs> there, there are a lot of things that are cool about this movie, but I'm not at all surprised to hear that... or to learn that it wasn't really seen by a whole lot of people. Um, it was, I guess, technically, if you're just going by, like, box office numbers technically a success. I don't know how they figure uh, what you spend on marketing um, in relation to the actual budget of the movie, but the budget, um, it was around $20 million. Um, I actually don't remember off the top of my head. It was... Okay, yeah, it was $22 million and the box office was $32 million. So, not a huge profit there. Again, this kind of has the the feel of a smaller, like, art house movie. It was um, based on a novel, but the screenplay was, um, I guess, written by Tom Ford, who also directed the movie, 
and um, I, he's only directed one other movie prior to this, and no movies since. Uh, come to find out, he's actually a fashion designer, which, you know, I didn't see that one coming. Um, so, yeah, it's got kind of a, a sort of an indie feel to it, even though it's got a hell of a cast, in my opinion. It was selected to compete for the Golden Lion at the 73rd Venice International Film Festival, where it won the Grand Jury Prize. I don't know what that is, but it sounds relatively important <laughs> to that festival anyway. Um, Michael Shannon earned a nomination for uh, Best Supporting Actor, uh, the, the Best Supporting Actor Oscar. And the film also received uh, nine BAFTA Award nominations and a Golden Globe nomination for Best Director and Best Screenplay. And a Best Supporting Actor win for Aaron Taylor Johnson. Which segues pretty well into uh, one of the things I enjoyed about the movie. I really enjoyed the performances by Jake Gyllenhaal, Michael Shannon, and Aaron Taylor Johnson. Aaron is such a creepy character in this movie, and he does a really good job of just kind of making you feel grossed out and not uh, maybe not grossed out, but he definitely just makes you feel uneasy because you're not really sure what he's going to do at any point in the movie, and he really sells that role. Uh, Michael Shannon, um, and. I guess when I say their performances, I should point out that they're all, I'm talking about the, their performances in the like man, uh, manuscript section narrative of the story. So um, Michael Shannon plays a detective in Texas who's helping, um, he's trying to help Jake Gyllenhaal get justice for what happens to his family. Um, Aaron Taylor Johnson is one of the perpetrators of that, those crimes, and um, that's kind of where the noir vibes come in, where it goes from a journey to get justice and kind of sinks deeper and deeper into revenge, which is it's great. It, that is a great part of the movie. Um, I'll level with you. I enjoyed the ride, but watching it, you might not enjoy the destination. It kind of depends on what kind of movies you like. Um, <laughs> as far as liking movies, I'll admit that I'm an easy guy to please when it comes to movies. I enjoyed Wonder Woman 1984 immensely when I first watched it, but then like the more I thought about it, the more I marinated in it, realized it actually isn't really that great of a movie. Um, that's definitely a topic for <laughs> another time. Um, but... Yeah, right after I finished this one, I I did love it. You know, I'll admit I was very, very happy to recommend it and give it two thumbs up immediately. But the more I thought about it, the more I kind of marinated on it, the more it you know kind of soaked into my brain. Because it is a movie that makes you think, and you can interpret a lot of things in different ways. I actually kind of landed on I'd give it one thumb up, one solid thumb up. That's where I'm at right now. Um, why I would recommend this is because the the visuals are beautiful. The movie is shot in a very... Um, in a way that's really appealing to your eyeballs. 
the great performances by Hall, Michael Shannon, and Aaron Taylor-Johnson. Those are all, again, shining moments of the movie. Um, the editing is actually what stood out to me at first, which it doesn't always. You know, I would say I'm not... I don't usually have an eye out for that kind of thing, but they make very interesting use of match cuts, which, um, if you don't know what that is, which I didn't before Googling exactly what I was trying to figure out what to call it, it's where you cut on an image, um, I guess the image you leave off on mirrors the image you then start on after that. So if you're cutting um, with... I don't know. Amy Adams sitting on a couch. You the next immediate image is like a similar looking redhead on a similar looking couch. Like that's a real crappy example, <laughs> but it's that kind of thing where they just make really interesting use of that and that's not something you see in a lot of movies. At least I don't anyway. Um, what I didn't like as much were, um, there's, there's a few moments where, um, the director is a little too on the nose with things, which can come off as kind of heavy-handed. Um, I could also see there, there could be an argument made that this movie might seem a little pretentious at times, which I think that's, you know, there's some merit to that, I suppose. Again, it depends on what kind of movie's you're in you're normally in for like if you prefer seeing like John Wick movies or like Marvel or romance movies or something it's like this is very different than compared to I guess normal movies I don't want to say normal I just want to say that this movie is a little stranger and non-traditional than everything um I'm used to seeing, I suppose. Again, this is a cerebral revenge movie, or I guess it, if it's not revenge, it's at least catharsis for <laughs> uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character. It makes you think, for better or for worse, again, it's been like two days since I've seen this movie and I still keep thinking about it. Not everything's resolved by the end, and there's a lot of ambiguous moments that might leave you feeling a little empty or maybe a little excited if you like that. Again, it's kind of comes down to your own taste in movies. I took a chance on this because I didn't really know much about the movie, but um, I just sat down, couldn't watch the movie I set out to, and I was like, you know what, I'll, this has been on my list for some time, I'll just give it a look. I think that the, the most compelling part of the movie definitely is the manuscript narrative, like that third of the movie. If you cut like the present scenes and the flashbacks and only focused on that, it'd probably be like a more popular version of the movie, but it wouldn't really make you think as much as the current version. So I think this particular film's kind of a, a sum of all its parts right there. At the end of the day, um, this movie isn't afraid to be weird or different, and that's a ballsy move, considering how a lot of Hollywood's trying to play it safe, you know, and reboot old ideas. I will say this does feel pretty fresh and interesting. Um, it's well acted. 
I would say if you're looking for something that's different, you're willing to take a, a leap on something that you might not completely like, but you will likely appreciate the acting and uh, visuals of the movie, give this a look on Netflix. Again, I'd give it a solid one thumb up. I'd be very interested in anyone's thoughts on the movie if you do end up seeing it. So feel free to shoot the podcast a message if you're like, hey, Regan, I watched Nocturnal Animals after listening to your episode, and it sucked, and you suck for recommending this. <laughs> I mean, please be nice, but yeah, I'm, I'd be very interested if anyone ends up seeing it, if you like it, if you don't, let me know why. <laughs> so, again, um... Jess and I should be back next weekend with the new episode on Sweeney Todd, the 2007 gothic musical. Um, until then, I'm Regan. You can catch me on Facebook and Instagram at Author Regan Brooks. And this has been a special episode of You Pick, We Watch. You guys, take it easy.